Welcome to the Vet Church Podcast. Vet Church interviews are authentic, sacred, and inspirational. Vet Church is open to anyone who appreciates the sacrifice made by the women and men who put on a uniform and served this great nation. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com. Here we are back with another episode of the Vet Church interviews. And um, today I get the unique opportunity to be with Terry Griffin, three tours to Vietnam, and then you retired. I mean, you stuck yeah. around. Like, <laughs> like you didn't, years. You didn't get enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're here with us today. This is uh thank you. Yeah. So, so you would ask me a question. I ask you, where do we start? You know, that's always an interesting thing because, and I, I said, like, save it. Let's save that for yeah. the... Because the idea is there's no agenda here. Like I'm I'm not right. you know, like I didn't come in and go like here's a list of things I'd like us to talk about. I have a I don't have a little thing of questions. I'm curious. I'm curious about your spirituality. I'm curious about the the three tours. I'm curious about you, like how are you still here? <laughs> I mean Miracles. And so like wh- whatever you want to talk about. Yeah. And we can go all over and we can segue back and forth. That's the beauty of the Vet Church interview. It's a conversation. Okay. So um, I guess the probably the best place to start is is in the beginning um, of my experience in, in, uh, in real life. Um, I think when uh, <clears throat> I was raised in a, in a church, um, um, that literally started in my, my parents' living room. Um, and it was one of the largest churches in the area. Um, so I had that foundation of religion, uh, but I had no concept of what it really meant. So by the time I was 15, uh, I was already off the rails. I had two personalities, um, one was, um, I I was a a student uh, involved in academics, sports, um, music, and then when I turned sixteen, I was still that person, but I was also involved in alcohol and drugs and uh, crazy girls. At what time? Sixteen, when I started to drive. Um, so that would have been about 1962, probably 63. Okay. Um, so I continued along that line and I, <clears throat> I graduated from high school, went straight to college, um, got drafted out of college, um, in, uh, October of 1967, no 66, I got drafted out of college <clears throat> and, uh, Went to uh, the induction center in Montgomery um, and uh, was inducted into the Army and uh, selected to go into the Navy, which was a a foreign thing to me. I didn't know that happened. So I ended up in the the Navy and uh, took all the battery of tests and everything, and they decided that I should be uh, in some part of electronics. So I ended up as a uh, as a missile technician. 
Um, and I was stationed on uh, uh, the 7th Fleet flagship, uh, which in my first adventure was in Vietnam. Uh, we went straight to Vietnam. That was my first official duty station. Um, and we were always on alert because we were uh, in... Uh, we were just in that area in the DMZ where we could uh, uh, um, affect an assault on North Vietnam at any minute whenever we needed to. Um, so I spent uh, spent one tour there. Uh, my dad got sick. I came home. Um, he They thought he was going to die, but he didn't. Uh, and I missed my ship movement. And so... And that, uh, missing the ship movement, I got reassigned uh, to um, another unit in California. Um, so, in, in like, how long have you been in the, or, or the um, Navy at this point? Maybe a year. A little over a year. Um, let's see. My first tour in Vietnam was, uh, in-country was 19... Uh, 68. So I'd been, um, basic training boot camp, mm -hmm. um, 16 weeks of that, um, six months of school, of electronic school, uh, um, fire control technician is what they called us, and we went through that school. Um, so a year and two or three months. So then I'm, I'm back there um and i missed my ship movement and i decided that i didn't want to do that anymore um but they didn't want me to not do it so the electronic technician stuff yeah i, okay. I didn't want to shoot missiles off anymore I, uh, um so um i guess you know that that's not really true the truth of the matter is that i went we were on a missile range and I did something that I was not supposed to do. Um, and they asked me not to be a missile technician anymore. <laughs> so, um, so I got, uh, I got orders to go to in-country Vietnam, uh, in supply. Um, so, so, so the Navy was on the ground. Oh yeah. We were, we were all over the place in, in Vietnam. We were in, uh, um, we ran. We had some outposts uh, on the Mekong Delta. We had uh, uh, stations in Saigon, uh, Cameron Bay, Da Nang, uh, Phuc Vinh. We had an outpost. Mukawa. We had an outpost. Um, and there, there's more, but that was just out of my uh, my base in Cameron. And you, you went to all those places. Yeah, yeah. Um, plus, I did some movements with the Army uh, that were. Um, joint movements where we we did some uh, in country stuff that was uh, supposedly not sanctioned, but I'm sure it was. Um, you know, the government doesn't recognize that they do yeah. a lot of stuff. So um, I never have liked to talk about that because that was uh, um, that was the that was the war to me. Um, when I was in on the base in Cameron Bay, every day, um, every night about two o'clock, we would get uh, attacked by mortar rounds, and you could hear it walking in. Um, you know that 
that ominous thud. Uh, it just got louder and louder and louder. And and uh, I lived in a bunker for a long time, uh, literally. Uh, at night, I was, that's where I lived. Um, encountered a lot of sappers and um, um, on patrols. We ran into a lot of Vietnam, North Vietnamese that uh, we had to uh, detain uh, and ascertain whether they were or were not uh, Viet Cong. Uh, some were, some weren't. Uh, I guess it went, you know, and that's kind of the way it went. We, we, um, we had no place to go um, and nothing to do. You know, it was like we had a job. Yeah. Uh, but our job was kind of su- it was just kind of superficial compared to uh, what we did when we were attacked. Uh, we were there to to uh, to protect the supplies and the um, and the airplanes that we maintained and the equipment that we maintained. Um, so it was kind of a different environment than being on a ship. You know, on a ship you're just kind of you do your job, you go to bed, you get up, do your job, go to bed. And, uh, so here you are. So here I am in the in a war that I had absolutely no idea that it was going on uh, until I got there. Um, in fact, when we we landed, um, we landed in Saigon, and on the runway, um, we were told that they were going to momentarily stop, and 150 of us better get off in about a minute and a half uh, because we were about to be attacked. Um, and while we were getting off, the mortars were coming in. So that was my introduction to Vietnam was, holy moly, this is going to be not good. And, uh, and so I thought, you know, this is, this is probably going to be the end here. Um, and in, in fact, in October, no, in May of, uh, 1967, um, my closest friend, lifelong friend, we grew up together from the uh, time we were two years old until, uh, he got drafted into the army and, uh, he was a, a gunner, um, and, uh, he got killed in May of 67. Um, and that was kind of rattling for me was that my best friend died in Vietnam and now I'm going to Vietnam. So what's going to happen to me? Um, you look like, even if you're sitting here telling it, you look like it's like, it's it, this hard to say. It is hard to say because um, I lost five friends um, from here that I grew up with. Uh, and I came home and I had to face all of those parents um, that had lost their sons. Um, my best friend's dad uh, couldn't look at me. He was just couldn't. I mean, and we had we'd done everything together and it wasn't like that before he died. Um, so that was the first blush. That was during, that was, um, uh, that, that was like the first thought when I landed in Vietnam was how long am I going to live when I get here? Well, especially since you only got 20 seconds to get off the plane. <laughs> well, it was, it was longer than that, but it, you know, it just seemed like it was like, okay, everybody gets pushed out of the bus here. And, um, 
and we we all had our our flak jackets and helmets and M16s and everything and we were uh we were getting out um so to to move forward I, I went to Cameron Bay uh which was um about the first 3 days there it was quiet uh, you know there was not a lot going on they were flying F4s out and uh the uh, we had a, a squadron of surveillance planes, Navy surveillance planes, and they were flying in and out, and you know, and it just seemed kind of like everything was okay. And then all of a sudden, um, there was a war going on, and that was a real shock because I had not experienced that. Um, you mean all of a sudden? It's like all, all of a sudden. sudden, it's like, hey, there's a war going on here. This is not paradise. Um, I'd, I'd been through, um, in, in preparation to go to Vietnam, they sent, uh, the Navy guys with the Marines to, um, uh, really funny. They, they were like, okay, the first thing we're going to teach you here is how to spell this word. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get educated. And he said, yep. K I L L learn how to spell that frontward, backwards and sideways. Cause that's what we're going to teach you how to do. And I'm like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. And uh, there was only, there were four Navy guys uh, and about 50 Marines. Um, and we were, we were called uh, swab jockeys. <laughs> so we got to lead the pack every day when we, when we ran, when we did whatever we did, we were always up front because they knew that we couldn't perform like they did. Because they'd been doing it. If, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we did. We, we made it. We survived. Um So I'm I'm really glad I learned those skills because they were seriously that was serious survival training. Um, they taught us that we weren't invincible. Um, well, and that's that's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, and 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 as a uh, a 19 year old, I didn't understand that I wasn't invincible. I thought I was bulletproof. You know, nothing nothing's going to get me. Um, but that was the farthest thing from the truth. You know, it was like, um, reality set in. Um, I started seeing people die. Um, people absent, they didn't come back. So what happened? Well, uh, they died. Um, and then I guess in all of that, I had to find some kind of escape. And my escape was that I was, uh, um, I was the base thief. Uh, if you needed anything, I could get it for you. Like the guy in uh, the Green Berets with John Wayne. Mm, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't remember that. But, um, you know, I would trade things for things that we needed, like uh, a case of steaks for an air conditioner or something like that, you know. Um <laughs> it's really really funny i I mean you know there's got to be humor in all this because it's so um it's so hard to talk about this it's like um i never really sat down and talked to anybody about this except for my psychiatrist and my therapist and that's only been in the last 10 years so um so it is fresh it is fresh it really is fresh so 
um, this, I was kidding this, this army captain and, and he's a, a helicopter pilot. And I said, he said, man, where do you get that air conditioner? I said, hmm, I got it. He said, what do you, what do you, you want to trade something for it? I said, yeah, land me a helicopter out there on the pad and I'll get you an air conditioner. Three o'clock in the afternoon, we hear this helicopter lands. He comes over and he says, the Jeep's here. Where's my air conditioner? And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, there's your helicopter. I'm leaving it. I want air conditioner. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, no. You got to take that helicopter back with you, but I will give you the air conditioner. <laughs> he said, well, no, we can't do that. I said, well, just give me a ride somewhere. When the when the company needs beer, take me someplace to get new supply of beer. So he did that. Um, he took his helicopter back. Thank God. Uh, that would have been hard to explain. Um, <laughs> Terry's little. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, I mean, you know, the... the to keep myself from going crazy over there, I did stuff like that. I had a, um, I had a little. There was a group of us that did that together, um, and we we traded stuff to keep sane. Um, I was on the other side of the air airstrip one day, and I was in the BX or the PX or whatever the army calls it, PX, and uh, and I heard this voice on the other side of the aisle and I was like, man, that sounds familiar. And I walked around the corner and I looked over there and this guy was, I thought, mm, this, I know that person. And he turned around and I was like, Carl, is that you? And he was like, Terry, what are you doing here? And I was like, what are you doing here? The same thing, I guess. He was in the army and uh, he was, he, we were across the runway from each other and didn't even know we were close to each other. So, and you knew him from here, from school, from high school, junior high school. Now, when you say here, where are we? Valparaiso. At? Okay. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Valparaiso. Went to Nicefield schools. So you grew up here too. Yeah. I know your dad built the house right yeah. down at the end of the road. Right. Okay. I, I was born in Defuniac because there was no hospital in Valparaiso until um, two years after I was born. So. A lot of the kids I grew up with were born in Defuniac in the hospital or Florella, Alabama in that hospital. So, okay. Um, but anyway, it was just odd to run into somebody that I knew uh, and have a connection there um, so I could call somebody and we could reminisce about home. And um, There was a beach down, um, oh, we called it Horseshoe Cove because it was a horseshoe-shaped place. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it was a great, great place to escape. You know, it was one of those places that was off limits and we'd sneak off to and uh, <laughs> 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 and swim and uh, and drink a little. And uh, well, you got to have, I mean, it's being deployed, even though it's totally different from, you know, Afghanistan yeah. to Vietnam or Iraq to Vietnam. It's like you're in prison in some ways. Yeah, you can't go anywhere. You're you're locked up. You don't yeah. have any way to escape. But this that's when I learned that uh Vietnam was actually um known as the Asian French Riviera prior to the war. Mm -hmm. Um and we this was part of that um Oh, so it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah. White white beach sands, cliffs, uh 
emerald blue water, you know, it's almost like home. Um, we'd fortunately, we never got caught out, um, cause we'd go in the middle of the day and, uh, uh, under the guise of him coming to see me or me going over there to get something or something where we'd go down and go swimming, and ride around on the beach and have a good time. And, uh, So he he finally got he got transferred home. So um, I didn't have anybody to hang out with. So um, is he around here now? No, he passed away about. Um, let's see, it's been four years now. Of um, he had uh, complications from Agent Orange. Um, oh, man, when we were we were traveling together, we I would go do stuff with the army and. Um, um, we were on Highway 1, and we got, several times, we got sprayed by uh, Agent Orange uh, just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I've had a couple of Vietnam vets say that, a couple yeah. on the podcast even. What, what does that mean? Like, you're sitting there, and they come right over the top of you, and they're just dumping it like the fog truck going down around the... You know, they're a little the higher than the fog truck, but yeah, they're over you. They're flying. So you see it coming on yeah. you. Yeah, you can hear it coming, and it's like, uh, what is that? And then you're all of a sudden you're wet. I had no idea, and and Carl said, "Oh, we're getting we're getting dret we're getting drenched." And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "Oh, they're spraying that defoliant." And I remember going back through that place that we we went that one the first time, and everything around it was just gray, brown, dark, dead. Really? Yeah, everything was dead. Wow. Um, so, that, so it so it really worked. It worked. It's, it's, it's and that's what's. I, I I'll never forget. I'm standing outside of Austin to go play some music, and um, the guy that guides you into an RV spot, you know, right? He says, "What are y'all doing?" I tell him everything about Bed Church, and he pulls his leg up on it. It's cold, and he pulls up his leg, and there's this black mark going up. You know, it's not it's not you know it's not a straight line. It's kind of like you can see his legs all discolored. He said, um, Doc says I ain't going to live past this year, but uh, Agent Orange finally got me. And we talked for quite a bit, but yeah. it, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. Um, tomorrow I'm going to bury another one of my friends who died from Agent Orange-related illnesses. Oh. Um, and and actually he's the first one of my my, my veteran friends who actually has that in the record that says um, that he has cirrhosis of the liver, uh, Agent Orange related, and it's right in his military record and in his VA record. So, um, and in how about you? Do you have any? I don't. I don't have any. Um, not that I know of. No, no residuals from that. From that. Um, so I know people that do, but I I haven't so far. Um, but you were still sprayed by it. Yeah. Oh yeah, a couple times. And, um. But I mean, I, some people are are resistant to it, and some people aren't. I I don't have any known uh, effects from it. I I. Uh, That's good. I want you to stay around a long time. <laughs> yeah, I want to be around a long time. I got I got a 
a one and a half year old kid I want to see graduate from high school. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not my kid, my grandkid. Let's get that straight. Cat and are you? But anyway, let's see. Um, I had a I, when I left for that that uh, in country tour, I had a fiance, um, and about oh four or five months in, into my that tour, I quit hearing from her. Um, so into that tour, I came home, um, and nobody was at the airport to pick me up. Um, so the airport was at, on the base on the Eglin. So it's a mile and a half from my house. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I was feeling pretty bad about that. So I walked home, uh, with my sea bag and, uh, cause you know, when you transfer, you take all your stuff with you. So, yes, um, I was walking home and this, one of my neighbors stopped and, um, he said, hey, what are you doing? I said, well, I just got home. And he said, well, throw your bag in the back of the truck and get in. I'll take you the rest of the way, three blocks or something like that. And, um, so I get home and nobody's there. And I'm like, what's going on? So I'm going to go down to my friend's house and see what's happening. Well, my fiance is getting married uh, that day uh, <laughs> across the street from my friend's house. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> this this is a twist of the story right here. <laughs> so, uh, well, that, that's kind of like that was when I gave up hope. Um, I was like, you know, nobody cares. Nobody cares. My parents didn't even tell me that. Um, they were trying. My mother at one point told me she was trying to protect me from that because she figured if I, I was um, down and out about that, that I would be careless while I was in in Vietnam. Um, yeah, it's it's a hard thing on this side too. Yeah. Oh yeah. So anyway, she got married. I went. I, I did. You go to the wedding? No. No, I didn't go to the wedding. Um, <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> I was Sorry. across the street from the wedding, but I didn't go. Um, but anyway, uh, so I, I really, I kind of lost hope at that point. And I was like, well, where am I going to go next? You know, because when you come back, they give you an option of where you might want to go. And I said, well, just send me yeah. back. You know, just send me back. I'm done. Just send me back. I'll just go do another tour. Whoa. And uh, so I went and uh, I went back. Um, and it wasn't as much, uh, there wasn't as much freedom the next time as I went back. I, I had a new CO, um, had a new new boss, and, uh, and there wasn't any freedom there. I was always uh, under the microscope. Uh, I wasn't able to do any trading or swapping or, you know, things to keep me entertained. Um, I did steal a Jeep from a nurse at six convalescence one day. Um, <laughs> took it to the motor pool and I said, hey, how about painting this thing gray? And uh, so I got him to paint it gray and put Navy numbers on it and everything else. At the, I went over to the PX to pick up something in this Jeep. 
And while I'm in the PX, I see all these MPs out there around the Jeep. And, uh, and I saw her. She was a, a major uh, at six convalescence that I, I knew and had some dealing with her. And, uh, and I saw her out there, and I was like, oh, man, I'm not ever going back out that door. I'm going out the back door, and I'm walking back to the base. And uh, so I went out the back door, and I walked back to the base. And, uh, and my CO called me in and wanted to know about the Jeep. And I was like, what Jeep? No knowledge of any Jeeps. And uh, <laughs> no, sir, don't know. <laughs> Jeep, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, but anyway, that that, that Jeep uh, went back to her. Um, well, and you could tell right there that guy's not, he's not playing along. No sense of humor. No, <laughs> no sense of humor at all. Uh, but that, that was my last shenanigan. I, I, uh, I kind of he kind of suspected that I was lying, and and I got all the crummy details after that, and uh, got to go places I didn't really want to go, and uh, go on maneuvers that I really didn't want to go on, and what an opportunity! Yeah, yeah, the army, great time to see places. Well, you're things. still in navy this time. I'm still in navy, yeah, yeah. and uh, and so it's all a mess. <laughs> uh, yeah, the whole world was upside down at that point. Um, but I did, I did have good food. You know, the Navy, they always fed us good food. Yeah. Uh, when we were in, in Cameron, we always had good food. Fresh eggs even, you know, no green eggs for us. I don't know where they got them from, but I didn't ask. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I mean, it was a, it was an adventure. It was a... Um, did you do a whole year over there? This, the third time? Um your third time if you know. see I got let's see, I got a two month reprieve, I think. A one or two month reprieve on that tour. Uh the tours were thirteen months, so I think I came home at I either eleven or twelve months, but um I got an early out because I told them I would go back to school. Um and that that time they were giving you an early release if you went back to school, so not, are you talking college? College, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so so I got a, I think it was maybe two months. So I got out and came home, um, enrolled in college at uh, Okaloosa Walton Junior College. I went there. Um, and uh, uh, started trying to uh, refit into society and um, – and that was probably the hardest thing about that was that I couldn't, um, I couldn't relate to um, the people that didn't know anything about war. Um, so that's that was basically when I started drinking a lot, doing a lot of drugs. Um, I, you know, I, I never got into a lot of trouble. Thank God. I, uh, but I'd been home probably six months, and uh, and I never fit uh, where I'd fit before. You know, I was I was always accepted by my friends before I went to Vietnam. Um, when I got back, nobody wanted anything to do with me. Um, now, let me ask you a question: is is part of that your perception, or do you think it really was like you're standing out because of? Um, 
maybe I'm even asking this for my own self because I yeah, kind of went through something like I this. I think you know. I think when I think when you put it like that, I think maybe it was some some me and some them. Um, there was a there was a group of people that I did get along with, and that was the people that did drugs and alcohol. Yeah, and the people that didn't um, kind of looked down at at me. Um, my perception, I guess. Um, I just didn't fit. Uh, I didn't know where I belonged at that point. Um, so consequently, it took me a little while to get a, an education out of that. I, um, I went one year, quit school, um, went to D.C. to work, um, stayed up there. Mm. Oh, no, I got married in the meantime uh, to one of my druggy buddies. And uh, <laughs> she and I were, we were on the same wavelength, you know, we, we like to drink and do drugs and, um, not your current wife. I no, think. no, no. And that, that lasted a year. Um, and we went our separate ways. I went to Washington and she went back to Memphis. Um, and I went to DC, um, worked a job, you know, I had a good job. I, I, uh, uh, I just didn't like I didn't like cold weather, so I said, "Okay, I'm not going to do this anymore." I came home, and um, my dad said, "Okay, you can stay here for a month until you get a job and get a place to live, and then you're on your own." Uh, and he'd done that before when I came home from Vietnam the, the the last time. He said, "You can do this and this and this," and I said, "Okay, fine." Um, so I did. I got a job and and uh, moved out, and uh, I bought a. I bought a, I never remember this, I bought a Magnolia one-bedroom trailer um, in Wright. Really? Yep. And uh, I, I had a job. Wright, Alabama. No, Wright, Florida, uh, where the end of Racetrack Road. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking wing. I'm oh, sorry. Wing, yeah. I, well, you said I thought wing. No, and uh, so I bought that trailer and, and, uh, I, I was working. That's all I was doing. I wasn't doing anything else. I was working, uh, doing drugs. Um, got really despondent, and that was the uh, that was the first time that I'd ever thought about not not going on. Um, you mean suicide? Suicide. Yeah. Um, and I thought about it so much that I tried it. Um, had uh, everything in my trailer was gas, you know, the, so I turned all the gas on, uh, locked the door, taped up around the doors. You know, I'd seen that. How do you do that? And, um, decided that that was going to be the end. Um, I've always had this, uh, this guardian angel. Her name was Janelle. Um, she came and knocked on the door. And uh, and actually pushed the door in because um, she knew something was wrong. Well, you passed out. Yeah, yeah, I was. And, uh, and that angel was my mother. She's always known when I was not right. Um, so she got me taken care of, and um, so I I went to get some help. Um, I went to uh, I went to the VA to get help. And the VA diagnosed me with uh, with what they knew then as PTSS, uh, post traumatic uh, 
stress syndrome. Um, so I went through some stuff. I went to see a psychiatrist and everything, and I thought, man, this isn't doing any good. I'm just going to go back to work and live my life the way it is. And um, So I did that, and um, a couple of years later I was okay. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing uh, drugs anymore. I, I figured that was what was trying to kill me anyway. So um, I was tending a bar in Fort Walton that not went to a couple of different bars and, and was a bartender. And, um, got a job working at um, on uh, Holiday Isle in a construction company. Um, and I, I would work during the day construction, and then I would work at the bar uh, for three or four hours at night. It's kind of part-time gig. Um, then I met my current wife, um, who was, I knew all, you know, she moved in next door to my parents when she was 10. So You've I, I kind of watched her grow up. So um, I, I asked her if she wanted to go play tennis with me, and her mother said, no, she doesn't want to go play tennis with you. And I was like, these mobs, <laughs> <laughs> where'd that come from? But it, you know, it was like, uh, okay, so fine. And, and uh, so finally she asked me out. Um, and it, it's, it's always been about, um, that higher power intervention in my life. Um, she asked me to take her to this speaker thing at, uh, Fort Walton beach community center. Um, and the guy was talking about marriage and I was like, what are we doing here? And she said, I have no idea what we're doing here. It wasn't planned. It wasn't planned. No. And, uh, we, we thought it was going to be some, uh, something we knew it was going to be some, uh, religious talk, but we didn't know it was going to be about marriage. Um, <laughs> so I actually asked her to go out with me again after that. And, um, so, um, so anyway, we, we went out and, uh, and we started dating and, and, uh, I finally asked her to marry me, and so about eight months later, we got married. Cool. And how long y'all been married now? Uh, 40, 48 years. Okay. Yeah. In the interim, I had uh, um, I was still going to college, and, and by then I had an associate's degree, and um, put an application in to go to work for the state of Florida uh, as a juvenile officer. Uh, and I got hired in Panama City, so I moved over there and... Um, would come back over here back and forth and we got married and moved over there and lived over there for, let's see, we moved over there in 74 and left there in 78. We went to El Paso after that. Um, but you know, I was still having a lot of trouble with, uh, with my personal self-worth. Um, I, by then, I'd finally graduated from college um, in 70—I guess I graduated from college in 77. Um, yeah, I think it was 77. Um, but anyway, I had a degree, and I, uh, I was already in a—as in, a juvenile officer, I was already in that, <clears throat> um, that law enforcement— uh, thing so I had control over something you know it was like um 
that's what we do is we look for some place to to have control. Yeah. Um, Which makes a lot of sense because, you know, in some ways in, in war, you're in no control at all. None. There's this yeah. absolute chaos, and that happens to you for, and for in your case, three years. Yeah. Like, give or take a month or two. Yeah, yeah. But it's like... I mean, just and looking back and just summing it up, I mean, you go through this, you attempt suicide, you, you, you're still drinking a lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, that's why I worked, I was a bartender, so I could drink. It didn't cost me anything to drink. I just got to drink. What? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and that made perfect sense to me to do that was like, you know, well, and I met girls and I met you know, people, and I had to some kind of social interaction, and uh, and most of the people that were in the front of the bar didn't know me. You know, so right. I could be. Um, you were safe. Yeah, I was you're, safe. You're protected. I you're, was protected. Yeah. I had a separation between me and them, and and uh, as long as I made good drinks, they were happy. Um, so, you know, it was it's it was always that. Um, Hiding from myself. Um, so from from being a juvenile officer, I went to be a federal officer. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. And uh, worked for the Treasury Department. And uh, that lasted a couple of years. And I figured, you know, I really I was in El Paso, Texas. No water. The only water there was a, a scarity park, which is like two feet deep. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, I've been, I've been to El Paso. So it's... I had to come back to Florida. So Peggy and I decided, well, we'll pack up and come back to Florida. And we did. And um, so I went back to work for the state as a uh, as a, a criminal investigator. And, um, and this is when you're in Panama City. No, no, I came. We came back here, and and I was uh, I worked for uh, the public defender's office in Walton County. Okay. Okay. Um, so, and then I transferred to Fort Walton, same job, just different, different office. Um, and so I started to gain a little bit of self-confidence, um, you know, and, and get back into society. But I never was, uh, never was really fully entrenched back the way I was before, um, So, um, to fast forward a couple of years, I, I, uh, I decided that I wanted to be back in the military. Um, so I went in the reserves. In seventy-seven. In seventy-eight. Uh, seventy-eight, somewhere around there. I yeah. went into the reserves, and uh, and so I went into the Air Force reserves because I knew they would not send me someplace ridiculous, um, and they didn't. You know, I, I stayed in the Air Force Reserves for two years, and then they told me they wanted me to jump out of airplanes, and I said, no, thank you. I'm going somewhere else, and I lateraled into the Coast Guard. Um, they have very few airplanes, <laughs> and they don't expect you to jump out of any of them. So, uh, But I really liked that because I was back in law enforcement. Yeah. Um, I, was a, I was an investigator in the Coast Guard, so... Um, you know, and that that uh, 
being back in that military environment, even though it was just once a month, um, just, okay, just, just even though it was just once a month, it gave me some uh, um, some of that camaraderie that I was looking for before. So you felt back like you were... Yeah, I felt like I was amongst my people because they knew what I was going through. Uh, You know, we had... uh, The Coast Guard had troops in Vietnam, too, so... um, Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we... I knew that some... And they we had people uh, that were in Iraq, and uh, um, we had... uh, um, PSU units uh, in the in the Gulf of uh, um, Persian Gulf. PSU, what's that mean? Uh, um, port security units. Uh, we were we had armed boats that we patrolled uh, American vessels and made sure that they were safe while we were kept us kept our assets safe from uh, the pirates and the oh yeah and the enemy and stuff and. Um, I wasn't in that group. I, I, I didn't go any, I hadn't been outside the United States since then, but, um, so you did go with them or no, you didn't go. I didn't go with them. Um, so, um, when I, when I went into the Coast Guard, I got commissioned. So I had some responsibility. Um, and I, I started feeling that responsibility and, um, I, I was noticing that the people that were working with me, uh, the enlisted people, were um, were suffering from something, and it it was from the uh, it's the same thing that that uh, we've been talking about PTSD um, because of their involvement in foreign countries where they had to deploy and and uh, and they you know that's, that was really alien for Coast Guardsmen. Um. Yeah, because I mean, like, even you saying it, and now yeah. I have two, three, three cousins who are right now, two, one of them's reserved, two are active, and they're in the Coast Guard. So yeah. I know a lot more about the Coast Guard than I did. Yeah. But before, I didn't realize that the Coast Guard deploys. The Coast Guard does. I mean, like you'll, you know. Yeah. You guys have weapons and everything else. Yeah, we do. <laughs> or we did when I was in there. Yeah. Um. So we did uh, we did drug interventions and our interdictions and um, boarded boarded vessels in the middle of the night, uh, and it was kind of like that you know that excitement back from the that adrenaline rush. Um, while I was in, um, I I realized that I wasn't recovered from the Vietnam era. So I started going to uh, uh, to see a, uh, a psychiatrist at that time and um, talked about some of the things that went on, but, but never really talked about um, 
armed conflict. Um, it took me uh, a long time to talk about that, to talk about death and and uh, and and just having witnessed um, death on that level. You know, I'd seen people uh, die before of gunshot wound or something like that, but I'd never seen uh, people, multiple people, die in one place. Um, I'd never seen a body, bunch of dead bodies, and laying in a uh, in a field. Uh, never smelt burning flesh, you know. And then all those things you 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 all of those things are experienced and that were experienced in Vietnam because you you have those. Um, those instances where you're in that environment where people are dying and uh, people are um, on fire. Um, and that that's reality of war, you know, and that was like, man, this is awful stuff. Um, I, you know, I'll regress a little bit. When I came home, uh, when I got out of the Navy and, and came home, I... Uh, I was a big hunter before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I didn't hunt. I didn't even pick up a gun for oh, at least five years. Um, I'd go sit in the woods and watch deer. Um, and think you know, I used to just come out here and kill these things, and there was no reason to do that. And um, so I didn't do it for a long time. I I um. I've only killed one animal since then, uh, a deer. Uh, well, it's, it's I, you know, while we're talking about post-traumatic stress. Yeah. You can, you know, I got it too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. I, you know, I really didn't understand why. Like, why do I have it? I didn't carry a weapon. I was a chaplain. I mean, I, I did when I was enlisted, but I didn't deploy when I was enlisted. And then... And then, you know, after working in the morgue and, and hearing hundreds of stories, like, you know, it takes a little bit of time. And all of a sudden, all them people and all them faces are showing up in my dreams. Yeah. They're here. I mean, there's all this, you know, and then struggling with self-worth. And, and you know, like, I wasn't in control of getting out of the military. I didn't, it wasn't my choice. Yeah. I, I, like, you get hurt, and I try to stay around, and then they kick you out. And then so, like... All of a sudden, all your control is gone. Your self worth plummets. You're trying to figure out why am I doing what I'm doing? Who am I again? Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's kind of hard to make that. Even after you realize that there's a transition that you have to make, maybe twenty years later. Um, and I would talk to the psychiatrist and not tell him the truth. You know, still hiding behind, um, I guess, you know, when, when we came back from Vietnam, nobody wanted us to be there to begin with. And so when we came back, if you said, oh, I'm a Vietnam veteran, they were like, uh, stay away from me. You know, I don't want anything to do with you. You were killing babies. and You heard that stuff. Oh, I heard that stuff. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so... 
you know, finally when I started talking about it, really talking about it, uh, being honest with myself, um, it was easy to talk about it with a psychiatrist, but it was not easy to talk about it with anybody else. As you know, I knew that whatever I said in the, in that uh, protected environment wasn't going anywhere. Um, now here you are. Now here I am. And, For the whole world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's like, well, um, you know, I remember uh, our, our base being under attack um, December 18th, 1969. Uh, we had a brand new kid. That's me bouncing around. We had a brand new kid uh, come in to start his tour about a week earlier. Um, and uh, that was his uh, 19th birthday. And we were going from the armory to the bunker. Uh, and we took a mortar round about, oh, 40, 50 yards from us. And um, he was killed, and the kid beside him was killed. Um, and I was behind him. Um, and seeing that, um, that brand new kid on his birthday die was really traumatic. That was like a, um, I never talked about that. I never, I never, um, never even acknowledged that it happened. Um, it was like just blocked it out. Because um, I knew I was going home the next year. I was going home. And uh, um, I was like, you know, maybe I won't make it home. Um, so I just was in, that was one of those things that just got pushed. And, and you pushed it back almost, yeah. how many years? Like 20 years? Yeah. You talk? Oh, yeah. So, so in, in you know, like this is all about hope, man. Yeah, it we is all about, about hope. And you know when... How do you talk somebody... In, oh, go ahead. When I started to let go um, and meet other veterans that were in the same place I was, that's when I started to have hope. Yeah. That's when I started to have hope. I was, I was, uh, I was encouraged that they were okay. And I might be okay. Um, and I, I got into a, um, a three or four of us started meeting and, and talking about uh, the periphery. We never talked about the real stuff. You know, we talked about everything around it. The funny stuff. The but stuff it that's was, safe. Yeah, but it was uh, it was veterans talking to other veterans, um, and being safe. You know, we knew we could say whatever we wanted to, uh, and nobody was going to look down their nose at us and go, "Okay, you're you you're just making stuff up." And that's why I love that PTSD group I was in. Yeah, I mean, that's. I heard some horror stories that you know that I know are the truth, um, and if those guys, I figured, you know, if those guys that were in real combat, if they were these two of these guys were pinned down. Um, 
with incoming rounds, and one of them was a lone survivor uh, of, a, of an ambush. If he could talk about that, I could talk about anything. Yeah. You know, I could talk about anything if that it, was the case. Absolutely. It, it, it like it, it, it's like it, like it does something for you. And yeah. then when you, it, when freedom. I, yeah. And then when I would talk, like I remember sitting in my PTSD group and going, like, I can't tell you the stories cause it was totally confidential, but I heard stories about this and that. Yeah. And like, you know, and I'm not everybody in that room at that moment would had, they had kicked in doors and done crazy stuff and, yeah, and they're looking at me like, "Hey, dude, you're one of us. You're okay. It's okay yeah. to tell that." In, in fact, it didn't even have to be significant in the sense of like it made difference to the whole world because it made a difference to you, and you're a human, and you right. matter. Yeah, yeah, and that and that sharing that commonality that uh, that camaraderie, even no matter how. Um, harsh and uh, harming it was to our our being um, to get it out to give it freedom you know to give me freedom for let go of that um, that was when the healing started um, and I still I still go um, to my sessions with the psychiatrist and the how many years now um, fifteen years, something like that. So, so other, you know, I, I told you I wanted to ask you a personal question. Do you remember yeah. that kid's name? I don't. I do not. Um, I just remember that it was his birthday, which is wild. Yeah, you know, like I a little thing up on Facebook and you see birthdays and and I, I write. Yeah, every once in a while I think to look at. It. I try not to because you know, I only got so much time. Yeah. I try to tell people, I hope you're celebrating life. Like this is it. Like celebrate the rest of the month. Have a good time. Like yeah. this is important. You're here. You're Yeah. Like you make my life important. If it wasn't for a birthday, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. Well in in the past um in the past uh decade, a little over a decade, I started walking the spiritual path rather than Let's we're shifting into some. Yeah, Some deep stuff, I feel it. <laughs> I, I started walking the spiritual path as opposed to a religious path. Um, religion uh, meant nothing to me. Um, I knew there was a God. He didn't like me. Uh, I didn't, you know, I mean. You didn't like him back. <laughs> I didn't like him back. Um, when I started that spiritual path, I found that there is a God that is personal to me. Who loves you. Who, who loves me regardless of what I've done, what I do in the future, or anything else. Um, you know, there's so many bad people um, in the Bible that were forgiven uh, and that their sins were just washed away um, because they believed. Yeah. Um, and that, um, when I was growing up, it's really... it. it I know that there are people that still believe the way that I was taught, uh, but I've shifted from that belief that I'm going to die and go to hell, um, that I'm going to live 
and serve God now. And I don't think that I'm going to hell because I, I try to be, uh, my, po- my, my whole goal every day is to be a better person in this life today than I was yesterday. And so where does where do you, where do you where does where does Jesus come into this thing like his dying on the cross for you that kind of thing? Where's... You know that's that has new it had a new meaning um, when I realized that um, he wasn't just some guy that got nailed on the cross, uh, and that's you know and that's the portrayal that I had from the religious uh, what I perceived as the religious background that I had because I it was um it was Bible stories. Mm-hmm. You know, they were all stories. They weren't truth. Um but when I started this spiritual walk, I knew that that was that particular part of the Bible was not a story. That was truth. Um and it and um you know, it says in the Bible, if you believe um, and you receive Christ as your Savior, then you're okay. Yeah. My words. No, no, that's, that's pretty good summary <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> and I have to do that. I have to, I have to take that. Um, the Christianity is... Not it's not just a big ball to me anymore. It's a personal. It's personal, you know. It's I have um, a God of my own understanding, not God that my parents told me what God was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and in the same vein, Jesus was God's son that came down here and was made flesh for us to see God. And so when I I took all that stuff that I got when I was a kid and put it with all that stuff that I believe now, the the spiritual life, not the um, that fire and brimstone life. Uh, when I put that, you know, I, 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 I believe in the Ten Commandments. You know, I believe that Jesus died to save me. Um, I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he walks among us today in the flesh. Oh, yeah. I do, too. Um, and, and I also believe that I can see and I do see Jesus and God in people today. Um, it's not a myth. It's not a mystery. It's a it's a reality. Um that he's here. Um, you know, and and had I not gone through that and started to believe that way, we wouldn't be sitting here now. Because I would have I still been in that place where everything was just a bunch of baloney. You know, it was just made up stuff. And, and uh, the church, and this is just, the way I thought back then, and I don't think that way now. The church was just out there to get your money, so the guy that was standing up in front of the the church could get a brand new suit next week um, and drive a Cadillac. Well, I don't believe that now. Um, I have friends who are ministers, and I can see that they were um, 
and are um, dedicated um, to carrying the message. They're, they're the real deal. They're the real deal. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I was introduced to the not real deal. Um, or maybe my judgment is that they were not the real deal. Um, when I was growing up, there was an evangelist that said, put your hand on the TV and you're going to be clean and saved. And Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how many times I get compared to a guy down the road from here that uh, <laughs> has a lot of money. Yeah. And that's all I hear about. I'm like, yeah, yeah. okay, like. Well, I mean, you know, and and we're all human. Um, we all make mistakes. Uh, I've I've seen uh, one of my closest friends um, in the past was uh, uh, an Episcopal priest, and he was just as human as me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we told jokes. Sometimes we told off-color jokes, which was something that I'd never heard a, a, a man of God tell a joke, you know, or an off-color joke anyway. Um, well, it's just as funny. It's just as funny. <laughs> I mean, it may have been more funny, but I mean, <laughs> but, um, I mean, you know, it's just, it, it's, a, it's reality. And once I found out once that I let go of all of that stuff that I'd been bundling up inside of me, and I could share it um, with another human being, um, really share my feelings um, and my experiences in life, not just in war, but in life itself. You know, um, we struggle. We're, we're always in a war. Um, I absolutely feel that way just because we're not getting shot at doesn't mean that we're not mm-hmm. um and i think that once i could turn that around and refocus on what i learned in war i have a better survival plan now than i did before um so so how, how old are you I'll be 75 next month. I'll segue in just a little bit. So, like, you started seeing this therapist around 60. Uh, 70. Around 70. Around oh, this, around uh, this one I'm seeing now since I was 60. Yeah. But I'm, I'm back talking about the one who. the Yeah. Yeah. Around 60. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, what'd you do? How'd you make it to 60 years old? Um, I mean, you went through some rough stuff down there in the 20s. <laughs> Well, let's see. Um, 19, the teens and 20s, you went through some... You know. Numbing. Numbing is uh, is a good way to put it. Just um, um, just to be real honest about it, alcohol abuse was the numbing, uh, the elixir that um, when I got into that frenzy, I would just numb myself and remove myself from life. Um you know, I wasn't an absent dad, but I was physically there, but not always mentally. Um, and when I realized that that was affecting um, my, uh, through counseling and uh, affecting the way that I lived my life, I quit. Um, I hadn't had a drink in 13 years. 
No nothing. No nothing. No drugs, no alcohol, no nothing. Um, That's pretty pretty big stuff. How I live my life today is, is based on um, a theory that if um, I stay fear, spiritually fit, then I'm okay and you're okay to be around me. Um, yeah. Because if I'm not, I'm not okay, and I'm not okay company. Um, so there's there's three basic principles that I've learned to live my life by. Um, trust God, clean house, and help others. Um If I if I can live my life doing no harm to other people, which is you know is a um, a lofty dream. Oh yeah, because it. Um, yeah. But it, it's I've learned that if I offend someone and I know it, that I need to immediately uh, make some kind of amends for that. Yeah, don't wait because they don't wait. Not be here. Don't wait because um, they might not be here when you go to try to do that. So. Um, you know, basically, I, um, all of those experiences in my past have brought me to where I am today, where I can sit down with you and talk about the hope um, that I've been given um, through that spiritual walk. And, and it's nothing else. It's it's not that. I, You know, I, there was a time in my life where I sat and yelled at God, you know, take me away, just take me. Um, today, if I'm going to yell at God, it's going to be, use me, you know, let me help somebody else. Um, you know, so, um, I have, I have absolutely no regrets, um, about being in war. Um, I think everything that we go through in life is a lesson. I think that every time I, I get down and I get back up. Uh, I get back up because someone has instilled in me hope that if I get back up, I'm going to be a better person today than I was yesterday. It's 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 very much an in the present in the. Um, a dear friend of ours says, "In the now, yeah. we're we're in the now." Yep, exactly. I try not to live in the past. I try not to get ahead of myself, um, and I I do try to live in the now. Um, and it's worked so far. Well, you know, it's, um, you're talking about, you've got grandkids, you're clean and sober. We talked about war, but there's, there's one thing we didn't talk about that I think might really, it it might seem mundane to you. Okay. But it's not mundane to me. And I, I, I think it's not mundane to me because if you go to a party, and, and I'm saying this for anybody listening, anything, you go to a party, you get introduced. Hey, you know, here's Tony. Hey, Tony, I'm 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 Jill, and Jill meets Tony, and the first thing they say is, "What do you do?" <laughs> you know, and you made it like you know we've talked about like you know we talked about the alcohols and drugs and like a couple of weird relationships, and then um. 
Now, why why you didn't just walk into that wedding? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but like there was this other time. There's like, well, your your dad says, hey, I'm putting a mark on the wall, and the, really that mark on the wall is to protect you and him, right? And you had a month, and you got to figure this out. So like in the month, you're like, okay, so now I got to go make money. You talked about working in a bar, but I know you did a whole lot of other stuff. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and so what was that like? What was this idea of like I'm gonna go do? Because you're super creative, like, and you know, like I don't know if you wanted me to bring this out, but like you have these awesome cars. Yeah, yeah. Like let's talk about that a little bit. This, <laughs> this, this is this super fun stuff. Yeah. Well, cars were my outlet. Um, you know, that was my that was from a way for me to um, express my creativity. Um, every car I've built was me. I put myself into them. Um, and I, you know, and it, it's, uh, it's kind of nice to go to a car show and take a car that you've worked on for 10 years and somebody to say, that's a really nice car, you know, and, and you're talking about going to places like going into a, a, social function a party or whatever Mm -hmm. what do you do well i'm a car guy i restore cars um and not only do i do that i restore golf carts i'm customized golf carts i didn't know you customized them yeah and uh, i take plain golf carts and make them uh give them their own personality so you know and that and and i uh i i've just recently been inspired by your art um before before uh all of my adventures uh, when i was a teenager in my early 20s uh, and even after i came back from vietnam i painted um and was very uh, very creative in my artwork um but I just let it go by the wayside, and I replaced it with cars and stuff. And so, uh, so um, I've been watching you, and I I thought, well, you know, me, if I I might be able to draw a picture or something. And so the only the only thing I didn't want to copy you with your pelicans or your uh, herons or yeah. crabs or anything like that. So. Me being me, I decided to do the most difficult bird on earth, which is a spoonbill uh, flamingo. I know the bird. I cannot do it. Really? <laughs> and it's like, okay, so... They're incredibly beautiful. They are. And this is going to take some working back into, um, you know, if you, you put your talent under a bushel, yeah, it, it goes dark. <laughs> So mine's been under a, a fifty-gallon drum, so I'm trying to let some light back into it. But you know, and that's that's that. If you can do that, I can do it. Well, I th- that's why I tell people that all the time. I'm like, I'm not creative. Ninety percent of what I do is just hard work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. there. I, oh, yeah. I am I am creative. Like I write yeah. my song. You've you've seen it all. Oh I'm, yeah. Like I'm yeah. I'm just like. But I had to find one thing in order to like spiral to where I'm at now. Yeah. And it wasn't, it, it's not easy. It's not easy 
waking up one day and saying, I've, this is my life. I have to take ownership of the here and now. And, um, you know what? I don't, I don't necessarily like everybody else's birds, so I'm going to make my own. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I'm thinking, well, you know, Matt's really creative and, and he's got some inspiration there and he's like just taken off with it. And I thought, well, I'll just get out my pencils and see what happens here. See so you're if doing I can, it? Yeah, I'm doing it. It's an ugly, ugly bird. Um, really ugly bird. I thought about just painting a silver spoon in his mouth and being uh, done with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can always do three or four yeah. or a couple hundred like I've wanted yeah, to. Well, it, I, you know, and I thought about that. I was, I was thinking, well, this is probably going to take me about a hundred tries to get this right. But I hadn't given up. Good. You know, I hadn't given up. That's, and that's that's like, um, I'm watching you. That's interesting. <laughs> like I would never. I here we are doing this, and I'm not at all thinking that you're going to say anything about what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, I I I know where you've been, and I'm watching you. And and even though you're a lot younger than me, you're inspiring me. You're you're showing me. You talk about hope. You're showing yeah. me hope. Um, well, I bought this house from your son and daughter-in-law. <laughs> from I call hope. It, we call it the Hope House. <laughs> we do. It's like yeah. it, it's like uh, Kate said to me when I, um, I, somebody called me up and they offered me. They didn't even know about the studio I built out back, or the or the finishing that you know that yeah. part out, and they and they offered me like almost two hundred thousand dollars more for this place than I paid for it. And I walked in, I told Kate, I said, man, we could take the money and run. And plus, if they saw it, it's actually worth more because they were looking at Zillow. Yeah. And Kate said, where are we going to go? <laughs> and she's like, God gave us this place as a as a hub to start yeah. doing stuff again. Yep. And I thought, man, that's that's sacred stuff right there because we, there'll, there'll come a time we die. And um, I don't know who's going to get our stuff. It might be my goddaughter. It like, because I, yeah. you know, we don't have children, but then, yeah, you start knowing your neighbors, you start building friendships, and it's true. Like I'm pushing the art stuff. Yeah, you know, like Hope, it, she's a great painter. Yeah, she is. And she I, really I cannot is. wait. Like she told me, she's like, when you get everything done, make sure I come down because I want to talk to you about oils and. Like, yeah. You want to talk to me? Like I want to talk to you. <laughs> like I've seen some of the stuff you've done. Like, yeah. it's interesting. Well, I know you borrowed that, uh, you got my yeah, airbrush stuff. I've, I've been spraying mess, so. Did you try it, though? Did yeah, it work? Yeah, it works. I just don't know how to use it. <laughs> well, you see, that was, that was one of the beauties of me starting out. I didn't know what I was yeah, doing. Right, right. Well, again, I'm just, and I'm colorblind, so I'm I'm mixing sometimes. People are like, where do you, where do you come up with that color? What's it look like to you? You know, I'll ask them and they'll tell me. And I'm like, oh, I don't look like what it means. Okay, that's good. I like that color. I'll just stay with it. But but the cars, like that, man, that VW. Did you sell that thing? I did. Oh, no way. It went. Um, last month. Man, they were those. I mean, and you, yeah. does that one that he got, that van, yeah. you still got that? Yeah, that's our next project. Oh, yeah? You're going to yeah. do it? Yeah, we're going to do it. For, for, for y'all listening. This VW was immaculate, 
right? I mean, like... It, yeah, it had always been in our family. Oh, no way. Now, oh, that yeah. piece, I guess I didn't understand. Yeah. It had always been in our family. It was bought by a cousin in California and uh, been across the United States and ended up with me. It was immaculate. And I I, uh, I bought it on a trailer uh, with all the fenders off and the interior out. And, um, I can't even imagine that because it's <laughs> it was nicer than showroom quality. And then I went back through it and it took me 10 years to, to get it back to that state. When you, now, when you said you did uh, alterations, or however you put it, to the golf carts, what do you do to golf carts? Um, I take just regular golf carts, yeah. put a bigger engine and a bigger motor, um, lift them, custom paint, custom seat covers. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> they look good and go fast. I really like the golf cart. Yeah. I like yeah. I like the concept of now when I was a kid I used to say it's the only place you can drink and drive. My life's changed. I don't think that's as cool as I used to. What I love about the golf course is the peace. Yeah. It's yep. it's calm. Um one of my mentors tried to get me to golf again, but my and my, my doctors tried to work with me, but I can't do it because of my back. And but I can still go out there and ride around, walk around have breakfast on, I don't know if, if, if y'all never had breakfast on a golf course and you live here in America, they always have a clubhouse. Oh yeah. On like every golf course and you can go out and have breakfast and just sit and you know, there'll be people walking around with their golf courses, their uh, clubs and stuff and they're all quiet and they're dressed well because I don't, I don't know why the golf people dress so well, but they do. And the breakfast is usually fabulous and, and it's, <laughs> it's peace. Yeah. And then here comes Terry's souped up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, as golf is it, when it first started um, to take off in America, there was the coat of tan that was the, uh, the envy of all amateur golfers was the, uh, before the green PGA golf Mm -hmm. jacket, it was tan. I didn't know this. All the country clubs had tan jackets. They were camel hair, uh, tan jackets. So, it, I, I guess it's just a it's a gentleman's sport is is where it started. So, um, I played until I got tired of playing, and um, my friends have been trying to get me to go back and play golf, and I just. Uh, <laughs> Not you know when the day. <laughs> when when Joe and Brian quit playing golf, I quit playing golf. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, when I was having fun playing that's, with that's them, the boys, Joe and Brian. Yeah, my, right. our two sons and I. And I was, uh, uh, I, I enjoyed that, uh, but just to go out and play golf, I'll go drive you around the golf course, no problem. So, <laughs> so like speaking to your boys. Um, Recently, and you were standing there, I was recently reinvited, and I didn't realize this was a standing invitation. But you guys do something that's really unique. It's really cool. It reminds me a little bit of the Waltons, or, or even like moments of Yellowstone. To believe, to be honest, <laughs> I mean, like it's like you do something every yeah. week. Every Sunday we have family dinner. 
Um, this is we, all, it's awesome. We get together at, at, uh, at our house and, uh, we have no electronics and we visit and our family is extended. Uh, it doesn't just, uh, we're not just a, a nucleus, but our friends are invited. So we, we kind of make it open. Um, and often we have friends, you know, that, that are family, uh, like family and they yeah. come and join us and, and that's, you know, and, and it's kind of, uh, we'll get back to the Bible. It's kind of biblical breaking bread together. Oh yeah. I, um, like I really believe that. And if, 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 uh, the way we feel is if you're invited to break bread with us, you're family. Um, so, well, I know that like, you know, we, we bought this house and, and you're young, old, I, I didn't know until yesterday we were <laughs> talking and, um, found out that Joe's older, <laughs> but, uh, your oldest son, he's really good at restoring things. Oh, he is. And, he really is. And his attention to detail is incredible. And his, and his wife, I mean, like I met your family through hope, through mm-hmm. your older son's wife and she got bureaucracy and it's like. And this, and this is like, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. That's okay. But, but join me on this, please. As a veteran, I signed a contractual agreement with the United States government before I was a veteran. And I, and I joined the military. But in that contractual agreement, it, it stated that when I was a veteran, certain things would, they owed exactly. me. Not, I earned that. It wasn't like a gift. It's not good will or good measure. It's a contract. And so I'm going to school, and the government is not helping with the contract because governments are big things with lots of people, and sometimes <laughs> things fall apart. I don't think anybody was facetious or doing the wrong thing, but I was having trouble. And Hope works. She helps take care of veterans up right. in college, and um, she helped me out. That's how that's that's how I wind up sitting here with you. Yeah. You know, like it's how God works. And I think that a lot of veterans feel like, well. You know, somebody else needs it more, but that's not, that's, that's a skewed thinking because you, you signed an agreement. Right. They owe you. Yeah. It was a contract. They, they promised me a whole bunch of stuff that they haven't made good on, but. Well, um, then they dropped your butt in Southeast (laughs) Asia and, and, and the thing is like, so you and I made it back. Yeah. Like we did, you know, I did my two tours. My, my second one was pretty short. And um, and you did two or three and a half or whatever three, and I'm saying it all wrong because I'm, I'm not thinking about what I'm saying. But yeah. I wasn't planning on what to say here. But it's like it's weird because a lot of people, especially veterans, will say, "Well, that's okay. I just don't want to." And, and we're not holding them accountable by by just saying, "I'm not going to file. I'm not going to go get help." And and it's like they held us accountable. Yeah, I remember being told to do things I didn't want to do. Exactly, a lot of things I didn't want to do. <laughs> but you know, to to go back to that is I, um, the military always stood behind me, as long as I was on active duty, they stood behind me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, in uh, after nine eleven, I because of what I did in the Coast Guard as a uh, with Homeland Security. Um, I was recalled to active duty and I spent, uh, I was recalled then and I spent almost six years on active duty 
And during that time, I was injured. I, I have a traumatic brain injury from that stint. But the government didn't do anything for me. But the Coast Guard, the military, kept me on active duty until I got a disability. Right. So um, I spent the last year that that my active duty, my military career, uh, just hanging around, waiting for my disability. Um, and then when I started dealing with the VA, um, the government, they um, have jobs, and it's like you're just a number. Um so, you know, and even even after I got out of out of the Navy and I went back to school, um, nobody told me that I had benefits. I had to find that out for myself. Um, I'm talking about Hope, Hope was she is passionate about veterans, um, and she would tell the veterans. I know some of them that she's told this to. You've got rights. You've got benefits. Uh-huh. Let's get them. Let's make sure you've got everything that you deserve. Um, she went above and beyond. Always. For me. Yeah. In, in a moment of like, I was kind of panicking. And she went out of her way and and, and fixed the yep. situation. And it was like, nobody had done that for me that was a civilian up to that point. Yeah. You, you want to add, shoot, I'm t- talking about it now. I'm thinking about it. No one had. And, um. Like here's me and my wife. What you know? You're just struggling to make it. You stay, you know. To stay. Yeah. And so at that point, I'd got over trying to stay alive. You know, yeah. like I was trying to do something now. Right. Like I got past the point where I thought suicide was the option for me, and um, I was like, no, okay, so I can't do what I did before. Now what do I do? And I have to do something. I have to live. And then I I run into this wall, and yeah. there was hope saying. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna. I'm gonna work with you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna journey with you in this, and she did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like she's missed a lot of family dinners because of that. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Because she, she's been working for some veteran that didn't didn't get it and didn't that needed help and uh, not our Sunday family dinners, but with her family. I mean, yeah. at, she works overtime doing that. Um, well, I know what when she, she called me at the house and was like, "Hey, we've done this, this, and this, and we have money for you to take care of that that the government's supposed to." And I mean, here's private citizens, somehow, yeah, because it, it wasn't the government, and they owed it to me. It wasn't like they they said they were going to pay for books. Well, I put it on the credit card because they they told me just you know yeah. you got to make it. Well, how was I going to go to class? Like right, yeah. Like the classes started, and I need the books, and I needed the books, and it was it was several hundred dollars. And yeah, she called me up and said, "Hey, your stuff's been covered, and uh, we also, whoever it was, wanted to cover what I'd already paid for." And I was like, "Excuse me," she's like, "There's a check right here. You can come get her. I'll stick it in the mail." And I was, uh, I, I was so emotionally <laughs> overcome. I, I was gonna just put it in the mail. Like I like I couldn't go see her. Like it yeah. was like. I wasn't, as a chaplain, I wasn't used to anybody helping me, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I just got off all those drugs and, you know, like my life was changing. So, oh, but, but you talk about, you know, you talk about you, you have to be responsible for your own life. Like, you know, like I did decide, okay, I'm going to go to college. 
even though I had, you know, I have a degree, I still had earned these benefits. I earned them. Right. Contractually. They're yours. That's right. I did not choose to be hurt. And just because, like, I still have both my legs and both my arms, I can't look at the person who doesn't and go, like, well, I'm not as bad off as them, so I'm just going to sit here on the couch and die. Because that's what I was doing. And it's like, hang on a second. No, that's not right. Like, we we all signed a contract. Right. <laughs> so, you know. I, I, I tell you something that was humorous to me. Um, when I was filing for my benefits for my uh, traumatic brain injury, I... Uh, I was talking to the the VA rep, um, and he said, "This this is what he said to me." He said, "Okay, we're awarding you this, but if you win the lottery, you need to give it back to us so we can give it to somebody that deserves it more." See, see that guy was, and I was like, hmm, "What? <laughs> That's he mine." He didn't laugh or anything. Yeah, he thought it would. He didn't think it was. He was serious. He was like, "You need to refund it back." And I'm like, "No, I'm not going to do that." Because that's not true. Like, so no. somebody was telling me, and and this, you know, like, you, you listen to this, you might think, "Hang on, a second, I'm going to check that out." But when it, every single person raises their hands and takes that oath of office, and it's it's actually an oath of office, and um, and oaths are very important and very scary. Like, you don't know that when you're kid and you raise right. your hand but it's a big deal and congress allots x amount of money for you to be a veteran if you make it out you know yeah and then and then to this guy to say that's like that's total crap it's a lie yeah well you know my oath of office did not expire um right you know it, it's like okay so i took this oath and they didn't say this oath is has an expiration date, but they did say that I could reenlist. But they didn't say that my oath, right? It doesn't expired. So I I still live by that oath. Well, you know, know it, Terry, when I think about the twenty two a day, I think about all them individuals who like us, yeah, took the oath, and they they wind up in a place so deep and so dark and so frustrated that they forgot that they had sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Yeah. And it's like, what are the enemies? Like, we can say, well, it's the people on the other side of the aisle. And uh, we're, I mean, this is not a political show, and we're not doing that. So what, so what are the enemies? Because I brought it up. Well, the enemy is like not knowing who your neighbor is. The enemy is not walking across the street with the old lady who's trying to get across the street. Right. The enemy is not stopping and picking up the trash as you walk by it. Like, it, the kindness, like, what's happened? That's the big enemy, I think. I, mean. I think so, too, yeah. I, I, I'll tell you a, 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 um, an experience that I had. I, I was dating this girl uh, after I got out of uh, the, when I got back from Vietnam, and, and her husband uh, was MIA. Um, Missing in action. Missing in action. So we had this conversation about, you know, the trauma of losing your husband and not knowing whether uh, he was dead, whether he was coming back or whatever. And I ran into her years later and talked to her, and I said, did you ever get remarried? And she said, no, I can never get remarried. Oh, yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? She said, 
even though I'm the spouse of a person who has now been declared dead, um, I can't get remarried because I lose my pension. Yeah. That's like the gold star kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of the periphery, everything that happens around, um, the service member, we don't even talk about, you know, we don't think about the, the collateral damage. The second and third order effects. Yeah. 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 And, and that's what, like, yeah. man, that's, that's, you know, I, I know some people right now that in similar situations. Yeah. I mean, that's not fair. No. Uh, and, I think they earned that just as much as the member did, you know. Oh yeah, like well, it's it, I don't know if we can get some of the ones from the past. You know, we got to go back and get that form signed. But the um, we've done some incredible vet church interviews with divorced, uh, not divorced, 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 <laughs> divorced spouses. Yeah, and um. I don't know if we'll get this one back up because I, I just I meet this lady in Louisiana and uh and she was a, the daughter of the lady that was like cleaning this building. And so we get to talking and she's like, I want to do one of the interviews with you. But she said it's not real long, like twenty minutes. And so we sat down and they'd she'd been married like twenty one year twenty one years with this dude. Mm. He goes to Desert Storm, comes back. Or no no, it was at the beginning of um OIF mm-hmm. in, you know, and so like the, like the first wave in or whatever. And I don't know what all happened, but it wasn't good for him. And he comes back and he was a little on the abusive side. Not a little, he was, he was abusive. He was, yeah. he was acting out. He, had, he just started like, he couldn't function without a drink in his hand. Like, and, and then they were giving him all kinds of meds too at the same time. Like, right. Remember the beginning of that thing? It was, anyway, I remember that pretty well. Uh, <laughs> so, so she decides that one day she's like, I can't do this anymore. I have to leave. And she said, I wished in the beginning, like nobody said post-traumatic stress. You know, that was something, yeah. that was something you guys from Vietnam had and the rest, you know, yeah. like, and it disappeared. It, like it went off everybody's radar and, or whatever. I don't know what happened, but like they're friends now, but it's, it's like so many people go through something and they don't get help. They don't, they don't know yeah. to there. There's fear. There's, who knows? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff that's not talked about. But I thought it was so cool because here's, she's as much as our tribe. Oh, yeah, sure. It's, I mean, it's that... you and me. I mean, like, so she didn't she didn't wear the uniform. But she, like, uh, your current wife, she's part of the tribe, too. Exactly. You think about it. She's lived with you for how long now? 48 years. <laughs> 48 years. <laughs> Dealing with post-traumatic stress. You said you only started really like digging into the therapy about 17 yeah. years ago or yeah. something like. Yeah. How, how did she stay? You know, that's. Uh... Yeah. It, it would amaze me when I first started doing this and playing. And, you know, I'd play in churches and bars. Because I, I believe I would go to the churches because if we don't. What's the, what's the point of going to a bar? I play music, somebody cries, somebody talks to me, somebody says, I love what you're doing, but they don't have anybody to talk to. 
And I could not in good conscience say go to church. I can't. Uh, even to yeah. this day, I can't. Now, if I go to a church and I know some people, then I can say in good conscience and truthfully, hey, I've been over to this church. Like the, this church uh, Brian, Brian goes to. I've never walked in the, well, I have. I've walked in there, I've met the pastor. I've seen the pastor at a couple of parties. Now, I've never went to church. They, they Eric asked me always every yeah. Sunday, um, <laughs> which is cool. I told him, well, sooner or later we'll get there. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't go down here and play a show at the wharf and talk about stuff and say, oh, just go to church. Yeah. No, but I can say, hey, there's the, the little Assembly God church here at the end of the road that has the little arc thing that always does the big punk and patch thing. Those guys in there, I've met some of them. Now, I don't know everybody in there, but I know if you go there and you persist, there's a few people. And, and the pastor, he didn't treat me like crap. And, and, I, and I am, you know, I'm an outlier. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not your normal guy. <laughs> I don't even look like it anymore. You know? and, um, but I could, in all honesty, say, like, you can go see him, and he's not going to say some crap that pisses you off. That's true. That's true. He's just a regular guy. And he's going to be loving and kind yep. and try to work with you. I, th- I think that's, like, like when you when you said in the earlier in the interview, you said, it took me something to go and sit and talk, and then it stayed in this room. Man, there's some, there's something so powerful about saying stuff to another human being and not having them like laugh at you, not having them get up and leave you, right? And and look in the eye like you're a real person. Like, hey, thank you for coming in and sharing. I think we're gonna work through this, and and I'll tell people. You don't like the therapist you're with, fire them. Yeah. By just walking out the door and finding a new one, I've done it several times, and 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 then and then I find people like I've got right now, and man, she's a great therapist. Well, when you when you go into a group, and you and you hear your story, you know that you're in the right place. You're not in a place where people are just. Blowing smoke. They're telling your story. They're they're telling you that they've lived your life. Um, that that opens up the whole world again uh, to know that you're not alone uh, in your journey, right? Uh, in your in your anger, your uncertainty, your fears. Um, you know all those things that we go through that we're not um, we're not accepted in. Society, but when you go into a a group like that, you know that you're you've found your tribe, mm-hmm. um, and you're not alone in the world. And if there's ten people there, you know there's a hundred thousand out somewhere else. So, um, you know any, I'm I'm guessing that if you went any city and you wanted to go to uh, a meeting of veterans, you could do it. You could find a place to go. Well, and, and the other thing I, I realized, too, is like when I was in the PTSD group, um, and everybody in that group had PTSD. Yeah. Like that was, and that was a VA group. I mean, as much as I, I don't like aspects of the Veterans Administration, I also got help there. Not only did I get over-medicated and drugged up, the doctor that saved my life was there. Yeah. 
the therapist in that PTSD group was there. The guys in that PTSD group that have become my friends, two of them, you know, like if you if you look up the, uh, I think it's the Veteran State album we did, uh, Dan Blevins, you know, openly, he's he's my drummer, man. Like we met in the group. <laughs> we're we're friends. We'll be friends till we die. You know, and 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 it's like. I was sitting there and like his his life is so much cooler than mine, you know. Like at one time he told me he's like I drove every single thing that the Air Force has ex- unless it had wings. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know, it's like he's got great stories and and, I, and sometimes I felt so insignificant being with those guys and they're like no 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 you weren't you're you know, they saw the worth in me and I and I like I I just encouraged everybody like if you you feel alone like there's groups there's groups for alcohol there's groups for if you're if you cannot stop having sex there's groups for uh, drugs there's groups for post-traumatic stress there's um there's just tons of groups and those groups are incredible yep they are there's a you know there's a one of the one of the things that i discovered was that there's a there's an a for everything that you that you could ever encounter a group of anonymity there's n a c a s a g a a a and uh on and on on goes on and on you know gamblers anonymous oh yeah um sex alcoholics anonymous and so and it's just like in the in the pts group d group um it's anonymity that keeps that group going because you don't go outside that group and talk about what you talked about in there. Hey, and that's important too. You bring that up because, like, when I said Dan's name, yeah, we've toured together. We've talked about it in public. I'm not, you know, like, yeah. Even this weekend at the Pensacola Beach Songwriters thing, we we talked about. It. We shared it to the whole room. Yeah. And he was there, and we, you know, I I told the story, and he's like, "Yep, that's," you know, <laughs> it's it's, you know, it's like, but. It, that doesn't always happen. Like people don't do that. They normally like, Hey, we're going to keep this quiet. And, yeah. um, and that's, that was super cool too. Cause I, I probably went there six months before like, I ever, I ever shared or said anything other than like, I'm Matt. I was in the army. <laughs> like, that was all I said. Like I'm Matt. I'm in the, I was in the army. And then yeah. next, you know, and then like yeah. the next person shares and nobody, nobody treated me like crap. And, and nobody looked at it like, you know, we always say post-traumatic stress disorder, but nobody looked like it as a disorder. They looked at it like, like you said earlier about the Vietnam era, like it's a symptom. Like you, you saw this, Oprah wrote this great book. What happened to you? I haven't read that. It's her and it's some doctor, but it's fabulous because it's like so many people say, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And Oprah's like, that's not it at all. It's like, what happened to you? Like, it makes perfect sense. Like. You yeah. saw this, you did that. Well, of course that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> really? Well, I want to I want to share one thing with you and then I, I I'll uh, I'll stop talking. Okay. There's a um, there is a headstone in Sunset Cemetery that I would invite you to go and find and read. Okay. Um and I I will use his name uh, because his his the words on his headstone are written in the uh, 
the Library of Congress. They were read into the minutes of a congressional meeting. Uh, Charles Kent Purcell II, who was my best friend. The first person that I knew that died, that I knew that died in war. Um, I can't tell you what the what this poem on his headstone says, but basically it says what we all felt when we came home. You go, you get lost in the in the shuffle. Uh, the people leave you behind, and you either come back broken or you come back dead. Um, and he wrote that a week before he was killed in action. Powerful. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Thanks for letting me share this. It's uh it's been good for me. Well good. And I think this is how we change America. I mean, you know, like we want to talk about change and nobody seems to even know what that means, but but I'm different from sitting with you just for this little bit. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all tune in again for the next the next story, the next bit of sacred chronological history. Whatever it is that we do next, y'all y'all stay tuned. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for this Vet Church interview. Your feedback is welcome. Find out more at vetchurch.com or retiredarmychaplain.com.